You're listening to a podcast from Turner's Hill Free Church. For more information and resources, visit turnershillfreechurch.org.uk. Well, I don't know if any of you have come across a guy called uh, Jordan Peterson, Jordan P. Peterson, on the uh, on YouTube or on the telly or anything like that. He's a he's a funny looking guy. He's uh, he like he's like a cross between I think Pete Sampras. Anyone remember Pete Sampras? Pete Sampras and Kermit the Frog. He sort of looks like Pete Sampras's older brother. Um, not so good at tennis, and uh, he sounds like Kermit the Frog. He is an unlikely superstar, and yet he is becoming rapidly becoming one of the most famous uh, speakers, certainly in the world. And um, he's written a bestseller book, uh, top of uh, Amazon charts, top of I think probably New York Times bestsellers list all over the world. He's uh, selling millions of books. He's on the telly. He's all over um, television. Um, <laughs> he's uh, get, gets interviews. You might see him on Channel Four, uh, the uh, uh, news interview with Kathy Newman. Um, and uh, quite remarkably, on top of all these things, every month he receives personal donations from individuals, not from giant corporations or anything like that, people who listen to his stuff and say, I like what he's saying so much that he, he receives $60,000 per month in personal donations for people who believe in what he's saying. And his message is pretty simple. It is 12 rules for living. That's it. He's written a book called 12 Rules for Living. And it's based on a set of answers he wrote on a web forum called Quora. Somebody asked, like, what's the best way to live your life? And he answered, he's a trained psychologist, an academic who works in university and so on. And um, he's uh, he came up with these 12, he actually came up with more than 12 answers, but he got the 12 best and he boiled it down to a book. And um, he travels the world talking about these 12 rules. And... What's really interesting is it's generated in incredible uh, testimonies, especially from young men. They're sort of people we call millennial guys of a certain age group who are sort of lost, a bit disaffected, don't know what the meaning of life or their, their purpose in life is. They're listening to the guy, this guy and they're saying, wow, these rules for living are really changing our lives. And people come up to him after his talks. He talks for like two and a half hours. And you guys thought you had it bad. Um, <laughs> sort of almost off-the-cuff talks, and people, these young men have come up to him in tears saying, you've changed my life. He's giving them 12 rules. They're actually pretty good. Um, it's really interesting, actually, just as a side note, that often in churches we emphasize, you know, being a Christian isn't about rules, it's about relationship. And yet what our generation seems to be crying out for more than anything is a set of rules to know how to live. But anyway, that's a, a little side note. Having a set of laws that shows us how to live well, how to be happy, which is at the end of the day the goal of most people and a good goal at that, having those laws is incredibly precious. But Jordan Peterson wasn't the first to come up with 12 rules. Uh, Thousands of years ago, a group of people called the, the Jews, the nation of Israel, claimed they met with God at a mountain called Sinai and God gave them a set of rules to live by. Uh, These were better than Jordan Peterson's 12 rules, by all accounts. Uh, Most of you will have been here for our series on the Ten Commandments. They taught the Jewish people how to live, how to live as God intended, how to be happy, 
uh, how to bless other people, how to have a relationship with God. And the, the, the law was summarized, not only in the Ten Commandments, but Jesus later came along and said, actually, you can summarize the whole law of God under two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you can get that, if you can work out all the implications of that for your life, you will be, you will have the life that God intended you to have. But the problem was, for the Jewish people, that as much as they knew that God's law was right, they found it really, really hard to live up to. That they received from God this, these incredible commandments that showed them the way to live. And the more they studied them, the more right they appeared, and the more sense they seemed to make of the world. But the more they seemed to understand God's law, the harder it was for them to obey it. They found it really hard to love God with all their hearts and all their minds and all their strength. In fact, they found themselves rejecting him and living not for him, but for themselves, for idols and for uh, selfish gain. And instead of loving their neighbors, they found themselves loving themselves more and more. And it all came to a head, a massive crisis. Um, through hundreds and hundreds of years, they tried to obey God's law, but they just couldn't do it. And it came to a head when um, they went into exile. They were, by this time, a nation, nation of Israel and Judah in the Middle East. And they, uh, they went into exile when the king of Babylon came and conquered uh, um, Israel and took them into captivity. And uh, as a punishment for their rejection of his law because they couldn't obey it. And while they're in captivity, Jeremiah wrote them the words that we just read. I'm going to create a new covenant with you. And that covenant will not be like the covenant I made with your forefathers, but I'm going to write my law on your hearts. I'm going to be so close to you, and you're going to be so close to me. I'm going to be, you're going to be my people. I'm going to be your God, and there's not going to be any debate about it. This law is going to be so close to you, you won't even need to teach each other. You're going to have life. Now, whether you know that story or not, each of us, I think, experiences something like that. Whether you've heard the Ten Commandments or not, most of us have a rough idea of what the right thing to do and what the wrong, you know, what the wrong thing to do is. And those things are at conflict within us. And most of us experience, to some extent, greater or lesser, the same story as the Jewish people. That we find that as much as we know what the right thing is to do, that again and again, faced with circumstances, big and small, we choose to do the wrong thing. I'm not talking about mistakes where we think you're doing the right thing and then it doesn't work out well. The sad thing is most of us actually consistently choose to do what's wrong, knowing that it's the wrong thing. We actually embrace uh, what the Bible calls sin. So this isn't just a problem for the Jewish people, it's a problem for us. But the cool thing is this promise that Jeremiah wrote, that one day there'll be a time when I'm going to write my law on your heart, isn't just for the Jewish people either. It's for us, it's for all who believe. And at a key moment in the life of Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, the night that Jesus, uh, Judas Iscariot betrayed him, he uh, established a new covenant. He quotes words from Jeremiah. And he says that my life is about this new covenant. My teachings are about this new covenant. My death, which is going to happen the next day, is about this new covenant. He takes the cup, which we're going to share later, and he says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. So Jesus, in doing those things, he's announcing the fulfillment of everything that Jeremiah pro uh, promised. He's announcing this incredible age 
When God's law is going to be written on people's hearts, when people are not going to, uh, no longer going to know the the right and wrong and choose the wrong, but they're actually going to choose the right thing to do. They're going to be able to obey God, and in obeying God, they're going to be able to have the life that He intended us to have. So central to what it means to be a Christian is this new covenant life, and in fact. In showing us that this is possible, Jesus even deepens our understanding of how beautiful his law is. You know, if you listen to the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt have no other gods before me, and so on. Unless you really think about them, especially to modern ears, it's pretty easy just to dismiss them as old-fashioned and not really relevant. But actually at the heart of them, like I said, is these, these two laws, to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus paints a picture for us with his life of what that actually looks like when he dies on, on the cross. Because at the cross, as he's, as he's crucified, as nails are driven through his hands, as he, he, he dies for us, he shows us what, is it, what a life looks like that is full of the love of God and love of neighbor. That actually, that life is so beautiful that it would pour itself out for the sake of others with no thought of return, no thought of reward. It would give itself up for others. And at the cross, Jesus is saying to us, you too can have this love flowing through you. You can have a love that comes from God, where you see God's love so clearly, so full of the, that power, that you would be able to pour out your life for other people. You'll not only be able to choose what's right in some small way, but you'll be able to, you'll be able to give your life completely for others. You'll be able to return God's love to him in absolute obedience. You'll be able to know what the right thing is to do in any situation. And not only know what the right thing is to do, but you'll have the ability to do it. That's the age of the new covenant. And we often explain what it means to be a Christian. We explain what it means to be a Christian in lots of different ways. We can talk about, you know, it's about going to heaven. It's about having eternal life. It's about knowing God and having a relationship with him. But central to our message, there's got to be this understanding as well. That actually God sets us free. He establishes a new covenant with us when he writes the law in our hearts. When he frees us to actually want what he wants, to love what he loves, to love other people as he loves them, to know what to do and to be able to do it. And that has implications from the smallest part of our lives, from our daily choices, to the way we live with our families, to the really, really big things, the really big moral choices or, or directions we take with our lives. So, Jeremiah's message is exciting for us because this is the reality that we live in as Christians. And um, I guess the first thing I just want to say is that almost in passing really is how amazing that is that God offers us that opportunity, not just to go to heaven when we die, but to be able to love as he loves, to be Christ-like, to be able to give our lives to other people, to be able to see God's love and to return it to him. I just want to, it's a really simple message this morning, but I just want to bring out three kind of applications that arise from that for us. Uh, Three things that I feel are on God's heart. And, um, kind of reminders and just things to spur us on. The first is this. 
As Christians, I think God wants to remind us what we've signed up for. You know, salvation isn't just this formless thing where we experience something good and life is just just happy in a general way. It's not just about feeling good. Of course it's not. Salvation, being a Christian, isn't just about being in a waiting room, like waiting to die so that when we die we go to heaven. You guys know that, right? Salvation isn't formless. There's a definite process. There's a goal to our salvation. God wants to write his law upon our hearts. He wants us to be free. He wants us to have understanding of his law. He wants us to desire his law. He wants us to choose what's right. He wants us to have the ability to obey him. He he wants us to be fully who he made us to be so that we can love him fully and so that we can love the people around us fully. He wants us to be conformed to the image of Christ, not because we're passively enjoying the blessings of knowing him, but because like Christ, we are able to choose to love him and other people. Does that make sense? So when Paul writes, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, he's not talking about just passively that we should be like Christ. People look at us and see Christ, but we actually get to act like Christ in the way that we behave, choose like Christ in the things that we do. You know, and unless we understand that that is part of what it means to be a Christian, I think life can get quite confusing, you know? We can be confused about God's law. Are we supposed to feel guilty when we hear God's law? Are we supposed to try harder when we hear God's law? In fact, it's, you know, if, if we're supposed to just try harder when we hear God's law, it's even harder now, isn't it, now that Jesus has given us uh, the new law and told us we have to love our enemies, told us we have to turn the other cheek, told us we're not even allowed to worry. <laughs> These are difficult things. No, the law now becomes a promise of what he will do in us. We have to understand that God... When we become a Christian, the law changes its purpose and becomes a promise of what God will do in us. You know, in, um, in, under the old covenant, they could read the law all they liked. They could study it as much as they liked. They could love it as much as they liked, but it made no difference to them. They didn't have the ability to respond to what God said. It was like, you know, like a, like a parrot that learns to talk. You know, you can say the right words, but there's no substance behind it. It's like a, a person who collects cars, you know, super rich people collect cars and keep it in a warehouse. And they look at them, but they never drive them. That's the, that was what the law was like for the Israelites. They had this amazing thing that could give them life. But they had no way to apply it and make it happen. But God, through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, enables us to live out that law. That's an incredibly precious thing. And It should spur us on to obey him. So first thing I want to say is, the first application for this new covenant is we have to understand that what we, uh, what we've signed up for, that God wants to write this law on our hearts. It's a great reminder. There's a quote, I like to quote at least once a year. Hopefully you're not bored of it yet. Uh, by John Bunyan. And it's uh, from, uh, well actually I don't think it's from the Pilgrim's Progress, but anyway, it's a great quote. And he says this, he says, run John, run, the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. But better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. And so that's our first application this morning. The law is a promise of what God will do in us. And God wants to sort of remind us of that. 
The second application is this. We have to recognize that at the heart of the Christian life is has to be a desire to obey God. has to be a desire to obey God. Under the Old Covenant, when uh, God gave the law to Moses, the people of Israel were gathered around Sinai, and they were staring up at this mountain, fire and smoke on the top and all this sort of thing. And Moses received the law from God, and he came down to them, and he, he read the law out to them. He read not just the Ten Commandments, but all the little details and so on. And, and the people of Israel reply, re- replied when he said that. Well, he says this in Exodus 24. When Moses went and told the people of all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we will do. That's Exodus 24. And then it says Moses did something slightly weird. He took the blood of an animal that he'd sacrificed and he sprinkled it on the people. Just imagine that for a second. It's kind of weird on a Sunday morning. Guy standing at the front and he goes around. There's like a, hundreds of thousands of people and he sprinkles them all with blood. And he says, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. What was happening in that scene was God was presenting them with his law. And he was saying, will you obey this? Do you want to obey the law that I've given you? And the people said, yes, we want to obey. Now, what was true for them is true for us. The new covenant is the same thing. How do we enter into this new covenant? How do we have this law written on our hearts? God reads his law out to us and we say, yes, we will obey. But it's something slightly different. God doesn't read out to us a list of commands and a list of on a Sunday you'll do this and on this day you'll do this and at this time you'll do this. It's not a list of commands like the Jewish people have portrays for us what love is. Like we said, it's Jesus Christ crucified on the cross. And then God says to us, will you have this man as your king? That's the choice we have to make. How do we enter into this new covenant? How do we ask Jesus into our heart? How do we begin that process of having this law written on our hearts and coming to life? We accept Jesus Christ as our king. We look at him, look at him displayed upon the cross, the Son of God, entitled to all worship and honor and glory, who owns the whole world. Everything was made for him and through him and will find its fulfillment in him, the Bible says. But he's given up all that in order to save us. He gave his life so that we could live forever. He dies a terrible death upon the cross. God portrays that for us and says, will you have this man as your king? Not some super talented, you know, guy with gift of the gab who's going to rule a country with uh, some kind of charismatic leadership, not some gobby um, Donald Trump type uh, person. Don't know where you thought I was going with that, Tina. (laughs) Not some worldly leader. (laughs) But this king who's crowned with thorns and enthroned upon a cross, he's showing you what love is. Will you have him as your king? Will you accept Jesus Christ as Lord? And when we give our lives to Christ, when we ask him into our hearts, when we're baptized into him, we're not literally, <laughs> but we are sprinkled with his blood. The same thing is happening. We're accepting that new covenant. Now, this is so important. What's happening in that is it, it, with that stuff that happened to Israel and the blood was sprinkled on them, 
you know, they were just cleansed on the outside. It was just like a ritual cleansing. It was just a religious thing. But when we accept Jesus Christ as Lord, it, something hap- really happens to us on the inside. Our guilt is washed away. Our sins are taken away. But we're actually given a new heart. We're given the ability to respond to God's commands and to grow in obedience to him. We're given the ability to obey in a way that the Israelites were not. And so the question that each one of us faces is that question. Seeing Jesus crucified on the cross, seeing the love that God has for you, seeing the life that he would like you to live, not will you do these things because you can't in your own strength, but will you accept Jesus Christ as Lord? Now that's a question each one of us has to face. Each person and for many of you here, if you're already a Christian, then you've accepted that. You, when you got baptized, that was what you were saying. In essence, amongst other things, you were bowing your knee to Jesus as king and saying, I will have this man as king. Whatever he commands me to do, I will do it, knowing that he will lead me in such a way that God's law will be written on my heart. And one day I'll be conformed to his image. I will look like and act like and think like Jesus Christ. One day in heaven will be like him. Hallelujah. So there's a a question for each one of us, of course. If you haven't made that decision, what would it take for you to bow your knee to him? What would it take for you to come before Jesus, seeing him crucified on the cross and say, yeah, if I'm going to serve anybody, then it will be Jesus Christ. I mean, that's the basic of our faith, right? But what... What I want to say to you guys who are already Christians here this morning is, I just feel like um, the challenge is that to remember that obedience is central to our faith. To remember that what you've done when you became a Christian is not some abstract, I'm going to accept Jesus into my heart, but you bowed the knee to a king. And I just felt as I was preparing, you know, this isn't going to be my longest sermon, it's not going to be my most technical sermon for you guys this morning, but I just felt that it was on God's heart to bring a challenge and to remind just one or two of you here, maybe more, I don't know, to say, do you remember that you promised to obey me? Do you remember that you bowed the knee to me? The secret to this covenant is not you trying, but it's you, be will- you being willing to obey me. And there's something in your life today, something right now that I've forgiven you for in the past and I've enabled you to do. You know what the right thing is to do, and yet you will not do it. And those moments are moment, they're crisis moments in our faith when God challenges us to renew our covenant with Him. You know, that's what communion is actually one of the main functions of communion is to renew that covenant, to come before Jesus, having confessed our sins and saying we, you know, we put sin behind us, but also saying to Him, Lord Jesus, I just want to tell you all over again that I want to obey you in every part of my life. I think that's God's word to us this morning. Maybe particularly in uh, particular ways for some of you to obey him afresh. Maybe God just wants to bring that as a challenge to us as a church as well. A fresh challenge to obedience. You need to remember that God wants us to to live out this law that he's given us. And the third application is uh, it's quite simply this. God writes his law on our hearts, not us. And I just, um, I just feel like, uh, 
in bringing this, the danger any time we talk about the law is there are people who go away from the service feeling rubbish. People who go away from the service feeling rubbish. And I just want, I just feel like God wanted to remind us this morning of just how broad and deep and wide his grace is. You know, if someone wants to uh, lose a bit of weight, go on a diet, you can't stand in front of the mirror and wish yourself thin. <laughs> me, me too, Nick. <laughs> you know, if you follow a plan, it's very, all very simple, isn't it? Do more exercise, uh, burn off more calories and exercise than you eat, and you'll lose weight, right? That's the, you know, the shortcut for every diet, isn't it? The shorthand, essentially. There's a certain thing you have to do if you want to lose weight. If you want to be an athlete and you want to win at rugby, boo, uh, if you, <laughs> or, you, or you win at the Olympics, you, you don't just turn up on the day and try your hardest and hope for the best, do you? You go through a training program. If, you, if a, a tree bears fruit, it's not because the tree is standing in the garden going, trying to bear fruit, is it? It's got roots in the ground. It draws nutrients from the soil and water. It's made to bear fruit. But it, its efforts don't go into you know, creating the fruit. Its efforts are, are, are go into doing what God made it to do. And the same thing for us as Christians. Being holy and being obedient to God is not just a case of trying really hard to do what he says. But there are really clear and definite things he calls us. He says that we can do in order to be transformed. God writes his law upon our hearts. We simply do what he's given us to do. Jesus said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Not there is no yoke or no burden, but the things I've given you to do are easy. They're not hard. So God gives us, he gives us the ordinary means of grace. He gives us the Bible. He gives us fellowship. He gives us prayer. He gives us the preaching of the word. He gives us communion. These things are, are there to shape us, and they're easy to do. Maybe you don't always feel like that about some of those things, but they're easy to do. He gives us uh, baptism. He gives us communion, like I said. And through those things, he enables a natural growth to occur. Uh, uh, something happens in us. As we partake of those things, a really simple thing begins to happen in us. As simple as a tree drawing water from soil and nutrients from the soil and beginning to bear fruit. We begin to see God's law displayed for us. And we see in ourselves weakness and sin. We see all the ways that we don't live up to what God has, has called us uh, to be. And so in seeing those things, we confess them to God. We confess, and what does the Bible say if we confess? He's faithful. He forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If we cry out in our weakness for strength, he strengthens us. He heals us from our inability to obey his law. As we has his laws displayed for us, as we look on Christ and we, as we hear him preach, as we pray to him, God works a hunger in us that makes us cry out to him. He says, Lord, I'm unworthy. I can't do the things you said I want, but the hunger comes. I want to do what you say. So we cry out to him. We open our mouths. And what does the Bible say? As we open our mouths, we'll be filled. Lord, I don't know how to obey you. Lord, Jesus, I want to be like you. But I I don't even know where to begin. I don't know how to start. I don't know how to love my family, let alone the world. You know, we cry out to him. And what does God say if we ask for wisdom? He'll give it to us. 
As we want to be like Christ, we look for opportunities to serve him. We begin to say, Lord, I, I want to live out this life. I don't want to just be full of knowledge. I want to be able to love people like you, but I don't even have the opportunities to do that. What does the Bible say? He's prepared good works in advance for us to do. And as we attempt obedience and we, we do it you know, badly or weakly or imperfectly, he's working through us. And I just feel like what God wanted to say to us this morning is, if you just trust me, just trust me in those easy things, I will write my law on your hearts. This isn't supposed to be hard. You know, there's a, a guy I worked for. He was um, he used to sell Encyclopedia Britannica's door to door, and he was made a lot of money doing that. And the secret to selling Encyclopedia Britannica's was stick to the script. They had a script they had to follow. And if you've ever done sales, you'll know. <laughs> There's usually a script you have to follow. And if you stuck to the script, you'd make a lot of money. And, he, and But most people find it hard because you just can't believe it will work. You can't believe that people will fall for this little trick or whatever, you know. But if you stick to the script, it works. And I, I did a bit of training with him for a couple of weeks. And turns out I'm not really cut out to be a salesman. But... <laughs> I remember one of the things he said was, you know, you just stick to the script. In fact, I tried to sell a couple of things from a couple of radiators. I probably told this story before. And um, you get to the bit where you ask for the extortionate amount of money, and I would, like, halve it and go, they're surely not going to accept. <laughs> they're surely not going to buy this thing off me. And they did. And I would go back and say, I sold, it was radiators. I sold a couple of radiators today. And he'd say, but you got, and you got half the money. And I was like, yeah, I couldn't ask them for that. He's like, if you ask them, they will buy it. I promise you. I just couldn't believe that people would buy that stuff. But God is saying, in a much more personal, much more important way to us, if we just stick to what he's given us, trust him, he will write his law upon our hearts. And there are people in our church, and me from time to time, and you from time to time, we feel condemned because we're not perfect. We feel the accusation of the enemy because we're not able to live up to the end result. You know, we're like, um, God's grace is so big. A picture came to me, was you know, a car production line. And uh, all the pieces come together. It's amazing, isn't it? You know, all the robots assemble the wheels and everything comes together and it's painted and so on. And then it's delivered from the showroom and it goes to, uh, it delivered from the factory, it goes to the showroom and then you've got to license it. And all these processes. And once the whole process is complete, finally, you can get into the car and drive it away. God says, my grace isn't like that. You don't have to wait till you're perfect before I can use you, before I can bless you, before you can know my joy and experience relationship with me. But from the very first moment that I begin to work on your heart, I'm using you and blessing you. You're just exactly where I should be. God's process of building us is not like a human process of, of, of building something that needs to be perfect before it can be used. I just feel like that's God's word for some of us here this morning. That God's grace is so profound. He is, you are just where he needs you to be right now. Think about what God is doing in you, the magnitude of it. He's making you like Jesus Christ. He's, in the words of Jeremiah, writing his law on your heart. He's making you want what he wants. 
He's making you understand what he understands. He's, ma- he's enabling you to know what is right and what is wrong. And enabling you to choose his way. That is a massive thing. Sometimes it's slow. Sometimes it's quick. Sometimes there are massive shifts in who we are. Sometimes it takes years just to change one little bit of us. But God is faithful and he will do it. You know, and underneath all those things, I just love the fact that in that whole process, God is looking just for such a little amount of faith from us. Isn't it wonderful that, you know, even when I don't want to pray, or even when I don't want to come to church or read his Bible, sometimes even if I don't want to take communion, even if I don't want to spend time with God's people, something still inside me wants to want to. (laughs) You know that? Do you ever feel like that? Something inside you wants to want those things. Why? Because God has given you a new heart. That's enough. All we have to say to him, all we have to cry out to him is, Lord, I want to want to do these things. And that process is at work in us. So God's gracious word to us today. I hope that's an encouragement. I know it's a simpler uh, message than usual. But I just thought, that those uh, three things in particular were what God wanted to say to us. Be encouraged. Trust God's faith, uh, faithfulness, his grace, and have hope in what he's called you to do, to be. As Paul writes to the Corinthians, you are a letter from Christ, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. What God has begun in you, by faith he will finish. Amen.